Let's continue to worship the Lord together with the reading of God's Word in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, I would love for you to join me there in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we'll read verses 1 through 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are do, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Let's pray together. Father, now what you want us to know, teach us. What we do not have that you want us to possess, give us. Uh, the correction that we might need if we're heading in a wrong direction, that, that you would, um, grace, full of grace, um, change our direction. We need help. So we humble ourselves before you. We trust you and we trust your word. And we ask that you use your word to do what you desire it to accomplish among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. Of course, you may be seated. And if you want to keep their Ecclesiastes chapter 5, they're open uh, before you. Hey, I got two uh, YouTube videos that are my favorite. And they're similar. Uh, one is of a mom who's got maybe about seven, eight-month-old. And she's rocking the baby on her lap. And they've gone to the doctor. And the baby, actually the baby's maybe a little bit older than that. I'm thinking of my own baby. She's about four and a half months old. So maybe nine months, 10 months old, and they're fitting the baby for cochlear implants. Has anybody seen a video like this? And the mom's kind of bouncing her, and they get the implants, and the doctor says to the mom, okay, now. And the mom says, hey, baby, I love you. And this baby's eyes light up, big smile on her face, and she begins to giggle as that mom talks to her. And two things happen simultaneously. One, the baby is full of joy, and guess who else is full of joy? Mama's full of joy too, because for the first time in that baby's life, her voice can be heard. So, so there's joy in the one speaking, and there's joy in the one receiving. The other video is similar. You can go find these on YouTube. And the other is of an older gentleman. He's probably close to 70 years old, and he's been colorblind his whole life. It's his birthday, and so they've set up a camera, and his family has invested in these glasses that I don't understand the technology, but for the colorblind, they put the world in living color. And this guy, he doesn't know uh, what the gift is, and so he opens up, and he pulls it out, and he says, it looks like a pair of sunglasses. And then his wife, she's filming, she says, sweetheart, put them on. And he puts them on, and it's almost like he's been jolted with electricity. 
And you can kind of tell he's a man's man and he's fighting it, but he just breaks down crying because all of a sudden what has always been unable to be seen shows up and he can see it. Both of those illustrate something important. Can you hear when the Lord speaks? Can you hear? Can you see? Has God given you grace to have life? Right? Our whole series is called Life Is, and then there's a fill in the blank. And most every week I ask you, how would you fill in the blank for your life right now? You would say, life is, and maybe some weeks, maybe every week you'd say, life is hard. Or, or life is boring. But how would God desire for you to answer that question? Well, Jesus, our King, says, I have come that you may have life. Hear him. Not existence not just trying to endure the day, that you would have life and you would have it abundantly. And so we're taking the book of Ecclesiastes, and then I want to continue to remind you, hold on the other hand, to the Lord's Prayer, because all the questions I think that raise up out of the book of Ecclesiastes find an answer in what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer. And so we're coming at it again, Ecclesiastes 5, life is, well, what we want to see here today, is abundant. But that's connected to how well you listen to God. So that's the title of the sermon, Listening to God. Two questions. Number one, are you a good listener? Now, you're not going to be able to answer that question for yourself, all right? Somebody else is going to have to answer that. So, of course, husbands, you can ask your wife, am I a good listener? Wives, you can ask your husband, am I good? Children, you should ask your parents, do you think I'm a good listener? Your best friend, are you a good listener? Question number two, are you a wise person? Now, when we open up our Bible, you know what it's going to tell you? If you answer, you could only answer yes to that second question, are you a wise person, if you answer yes to the first question, are you a good listener? Because you were born with all sorts of characteristics and qualities, but none of us were born wise. Did you know that? Not one of us was born wise. You're wise to the extent that you're a good listener, and specifically that you have the grace to be a good listener to the Lord. Well, let me just give you a sample of verses. We're in Ecclesiastes, but previous to the book of Ecclesiastes, sequentially in the Bible is Proverbs. So just listen to a couple of Proverbs. Listen. You hear what I'm saying? Listen to a couple of the Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man, what do you think it's going to say? Listens. To advice, or Proverbs 19:20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may give, gain wisdom in the future. Proverbs 10:17, whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. You probably know James 1:19. Know this, my beloved brothers: let everyone be quick to hear, slow to. Do you know the verse? Speak and slow to anger. Man, if you listen to Uh, the teaching of Jesus, one of his most frequent phrases when he's teaching is what? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Meaning, if you listen, I've got so many good and helpful, life-transforming things to say, if you'll listen. So here in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, if we really listen, you probably knew I was going to say this, three things, right? Three things from Ecclesiastes 5, but they're so important. And, and I want to, to also say they build on, another, uh, build on one another. 
So the first one's really important, and the first of the three things, if it's got to be right, so the number two and number three can be right. Does that make sense? It matters how you start. And we're just going to use exactly what verse one says. Start here. Point number one, guard how you approach God. Guard how you approach God. Let's uh, read verse one again. Get the word straight from there. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. So we're told to guard, right? We see that straight from the scripture. Now here's the question. Guard against what? Guard against what? Can we read the verse one more time with that question in mind? You're being told to guard, to to, to be attentive about something. But what is it that you're being told to guard against? So let's read it one more time and and we'll see it. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Guard against what? Well, you'll be able to pick up pretty fast that we're being warned against a really dangerous and really common trap. What is it? To be around the things of God without having a heart for God. Isn't that what he's saying? It's not that they're not going to the house of God. And this, of course, the Old Testament is talking about going to the temple to offer sacrifice. They were susceptible to this. And I would say on this side of Calvary, we can also be susceptible. It's it's to guard the manner, the approach in which you do draw near. Because physically, right, physically they were drawing near to the temple. But what's the warning? Their body was there, but their hearts were a thousand miles away. You can draw near physically without drawing near to listen with the heart and the mind. You can bring ears, but not listen. Now, here's the good news. Because of Jesus, we can draw near with confidence. Amen? That's what the Scripture says. Draw near with confidence. The sacrifice has been made. But also because of Jesus, we should draw near with reverence. Amen? With gratitude. With awe. I mean, what we're doing today is important. How, did, how have you drawn near today? We can use the worship service. I'd encourage you, the manner you worship the Lord in a worship service like this doesn't begin in a worship service like this. I'd encourage you as a follower of Jesus, and if you're a part of this local church, that you approach Sunday on Saturday, if not on Friday. You know what I mean? Like you're getting things ready. You're reading the scripture ahead of time. You're praying. It's a powerful phrase used here. The sacrifice of fools. And, and notice how serious it is. It says, then to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing, it doesn't say something careless, it doesn't even say something foolish. It's saying it's doing something evil. So here's a, here's a principle we want to hold to. When I approach God the wrong way, nothing about my life can be right. When the way I approach God is wrong, nothing about my life can be right. We'd go back to the proverb. I think it's Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. For from it flow 
the springs of life. In other words, you know this, but I want you to really think about it. God knows this, and it's in the heart. Of course, we're being warned that you can, be, you can spend your whole life. We, we would be able to say, come into church Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday nights, but never having a heart for God. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27, talk a lot about how you incline your heart, right? Um, Several years ago now, I took my oldest child, Mary Clara, and we went to the North Carolina Symphony. And we got in there and we sat down and all the musicians were kind of on the stage. Some were kind of coming and going and they were all tuning their instruments, right? And it sounded rather unpleasant. High-pitched, man, I got something about high-pitched noise. My children will tell you, don't, don't, especially an unexpected high-pitched noise. I just can hardly deal with it. And I sat there and I was like, man, this is, oh, when, when's this going to begin? But they got those instruments in tune and man, when they were ready and they began to play, it was beautiful. It was powerful. But they had to I'd say, incline the instrument to play. You don't tune an instrument once, do you? I mean, sometimes I'll be here at the church and I'll be walking around, especially on days like this, back to the kitchen where the ice machine is. Sometimes I just want to sit in it, honestly. I don't do that, by the way. I just want to make that clear. Never done that. And I'll come back and I don't know how often he comes, but there's a gentleman who sits here at the piano. And it sounds like noise, but he's tuning it. So that when Cindy sits down, the notes are the notes. Do you know what I mean? God desires for your life, if we can say it, it's a little bit of hokey, to make music, not just have noise. But you have to tune your heart to his. This is important. We live in a generation that says God needs to tune his heart to match ours. No. God's heart is pure and holy, and good, and just. So we're not like Cain looking at God and saying, you need to accept whatever we offer. That's the sacrifice of fools. That's what he's saying. We don't, we don't not listen and then give God whatever we think he, we should give him. No, we tune our hearts. Another illustration about guarding is, have you ever been up to Washington, D.C., to Arlington, which is a little bit outside of D.C. proper, but the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, how many of you have ever been there? Been there to see the changing of the guards. Man, that's powerful. It's about honor and reverence. They're there, somebody's there 24-7. Rain, sleet, snow, and it's been going on. I mean, that, that's about guard. That's, that's this word. Verse 1, guard. Man, we live, in, we live in a generation that is so kind of flippant and casual about the things of God. And again, we have confidence to draw near. But let's remember who, how, and why we are drawing near. Nobody drifts into godliness. We might say, well, isn't it God who keeps my heart? Yes. But that's a bit like saying to a farmer, doesn't God produce a harvest? Well, well Yes. God does provide the seed and the rain and the sunlight, but the farmer plants, plows, weeds, guards, protects, 
what was the responsibility given to Adam at the beginning? What was the word about the garden? Guard it. Keep it. From your heart flow the springs of life, the proverb says. What is that? From your heart is, to, is where you determine how you fill in the blank. Life is, and I, I hope, God, uh, God in Christ has done everything for you to be able to say, life is full of peace. Life is full of joy. Life is abundant. My life is full of contentment because of, of Christ. So, so first of all, we see here the principle, we want to guard our steps when we go to the house of God, specifically guarding my steps that I don't physically draw near to the things of God with a heart that is set elsewhere. Second, you want to be careful how you listen to God. That's verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. We'll finish the verse, but you see a connection right here, consistent through the Scripture. There's an there's a irrevocable connection between the state of your heart and what? What you say. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. That should have a humbling effect, right? He's bigger than you. (laughs) Be careful how you listen to God. One of the things that I most desire for you, kind of zealous for it, is um, that, that you have meaningful times with the Lord in His Word regularly when it's, when it's just you. So I want to take just a, just a moment. I, I've taught this before, but before we jump into it, just ask you, right now in your life, to take inventory of how maybe regularly, consistently, and maybe most helpfully, how, meaning, how frequently you meaningfully spend time with God in His Word. No, number one, I just want you to know, you have a, in some, in some ways, you have more access to God's Word than any generation before you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have at least eight copies of the Bible? And do, do you know generations before you, they, they wouldn't even be able to comprehend that, that you have that ready access to the Bible. And, and, and it's not just the Scripture. You have more ready access, well, this is a double-edged sword, to false teaching of Scripture, but you also have more ready access to, to good books and commentaries. I mean, you can get on your phone, and you can find a thousand preachers better than me like that, and you have access to it. Now, the access doesn't necessarily for our generation have a corresponding vigor to it, does it? In fact, we have such ready access that it's almost we get to the point where we sort of take it for granted. So what I want to do, just for a moment, is not just tell you you should listen to God, but, but maybe say how to listen to God. Because kind of, I think I've used this illustration before. I'm the least handy person in the world. And I'm sometimes around the, the guys when they're doing something, you know, fixing something. And I just say, I wish I could, but I'm just not quite sure I know how. And I, I think that kind of matches the way many people 
Say, I want to read the Bible. I want to study the Bible. I want it to be meaningful. I'm just not sure quite how, right? So let's take three, four minutes. Number one, it's a non-negotiable. You have to say, I'm going to do it. You have to say regularly. And I don't know what regularly would mean. I, I would think, I would encourage daily, you, you set aside. You've got the time. If you take inventory, I know you're busy. If you just say 25, 30 minutes, that time is blocked out, and that's going to be time that I spend in the Word. So number one, non-negotiable, I'm going to do that. Number two, I do think you need a plan. You don't want to just show up Monday morning and say, turn somewhere. Uh, you've got ready access to Bible reading plans. Bible reading, there's chronological Bible, there's the Bible in a year. My personal favorite is this little book right here. I got copies of my front pew there if you want to grab one. It's by D.A. Carson. It's called For the Love of God. Every day, open it up, two chapters to read. I, I, I try to read it, and, and it is reading through the Bible over the course of a year. There's an Old Testament reading. There's a, there's a New Testament reading. Now, for a long time in my life, that was what I did. But can I be honest for a moment? This is checking a box. And I can remember in high school hearing somebody teach a lesson kind of like this. I was in the 10th grade. And they said, just get up 30 minutes earlier than you normally do and use that time. So, so I began to set my alarm clock, and it would go off at 6 o'clock. I'd get up, had a one-year Bible. And here's, just being honest, I was immature, read it as fast as I could, closed it, went back to bed. And how helpful is that? I just wanted to do it. I just, it's like a, I just said, a kind of a legalistic obligation. Now I've done it. And I kind of went weeks doing that without that Bible showing up in my life. Do you know what I mean? That's what he's warning about. Guard. How you, you can be around the most precious things in the world. Leave here and be more impressed with whatever sporting events taking place on your television today. That's crazy. That's, honestly, that's crazy that the God of creation has spoken to us in his word and would be more captivated by what's at the movie theater or the sporting event, or you could name a thousand other things. But that's how we are. So let's talk about when you open up the Bible and say you've read a chapter of the Old Testament, you've read a chapter of the New Testament. Let me just give you a series of questions to ask as you do that. And then the other thing I would encourage you, you've got a plan, right? You've got his word, and then I would encourage you to get one of these old bad boys, a notebook, right? Paper, pencil, well, that's a blank page, but you, I don't know why I showed you that, like you don't know what a notebook is, but, but, but there you go, I did. So. so then you've read the chapter, and now you ask a series of questions that you write the answer down to. Here's the question number one. I think it's the best question you can ask when you read the Bible. What I just read, what does the passage teach me about God, about his character, about his works, about his ways, about his heart? The Bible is God revealing to you who he is. I just jotted down answers to that question from what we've read in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. What does this passage that we're reading teach us about God? Wrote down some simple things. God's not to be approached any way I decide is best. God would rather me listen well to him than offer a foolish sacrifice or the sacrifice of fools. 
The words I speak are important in the sight of God. God is so much higher than me. God takes vows seriously. Well, that's the next verses we'll get to. And God is to be feared. We got that from seven verses. Are those significant things? Absolutely. Those are life-shaping things. What does this passage teach me about God? Second question, what does this passage teach me about the human condition? I have to tell myself over and over, I don't know me best. God knows me best. So the Bible reveals me to me in an honest way. Nobody lies to you about you more than you, right? So God's willing to be honest. What does this teach me about me? I just jotted down the inclinations that I have. I'm inclined not to guard my steps. I spent some time yesterday kind of walking around. I meant to run around, but then I became a walk. Did that ever happen? Went to run, it became a walk. And I just kind of, I don't know what verb to use, confused about why I do so many things without putting much thought into them. Just sit down and turn on the TV and click and start watching. And it's, it's kind of thoughtless. And, and, and yet I, I, I approach reading the scripture as if, um, I don't know, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't know why I so casually and easily do one while the other seems so challenging, right? I, and so, so I get from the passage, I'm inclined not to guard my steps. If I'm not careful, I'll just go through days after day after day, just kind of the, the flow of life sets the pace for me rather than the things of God. I'm inclined to offer the sacrifice of fools instead of listening. I'm inclined to come to church and be with the people of God day and week after week and it not have any impact in my life. Why am I like that? I'm inclined to be rash and hasty with my words. That's what he's telling me. He, he wouldn't warn us about it if we weren't And I'm inclined to, to making vows that I do not perform. Now, most every time you answer this second question, what's this passage teach me about my inclinations? It's going to lead you to see your need of Jesus. Amen? Every single time. When God reveals you to you, it's always done in grace so that you see your need for Christ. Because Jesus is not like that. And then in the passage... Ask a series of questions. Is there a command to obey, an example to follow or not follow, a sin to avoid, a warning to pay careful attention to, a promise to trust? And these are the things, as you think about it, that you're going to write down in the notebook because uh, I'm officially of that age. I'll write it down. If I don't write it down in the morning when I'm reading it or in the evening when I'm reading it, three hours are going by and I'll say to myself, what did I even read? That's 40 some odd years, and five children in. That's how it goes. But, but then, maybe it'd be Sundays. I'd encourage you to pick a day a week. Sundays, I think, would work well. Sunday afternoon, you, you get what you've written out over the course of the week, and you just go back over it, and you read it. And, and then, as an added blessing, you pass it on to the next generation. Maybe not now, but there'll be a day your children, your grandchildren, and this would be, this would be their prized possession what mom, what dad, what grandma 
learn from the scripture, and, and here it is. What a blessing that would be. So I think I've got there on your outline. Healthy Bible study follows this pattern. Read it through, think it through, pray it in, live it out, pass it on. And uh, maybe you just read through that sequence and just find maybe here's where the roadblock is. Maybe it's at the front. I'm not reading in the Bible at all. So you don't take that step. Or you're reading it, but like me in high school and like me, honestly, in so many other seasons of my life, you've read it through, but you didn't ever take time to think it through or pray it. Man, if you want your, um, if you want your prayer life to be spirit-led, you pray what you're studying in the Scripture. How does the Lord's Prayer begin, by the way? Hallowed be your name. It starts with Him and who He is. So your prayer time, if we were using Ecclesiastes 5, God, you are in heaven. I'm on earth. I hallow your name. You're so much bigger than me, greater than me. God, help me not be rash with my mouth. Help my heart not to be hasty to utter a word before you. God, help me let my words be few. And then, as, as we're kind of doing that individually, and we gather together as the people of God, there will be so much vibrance and life among us because we're listening to him together. Third from the passage. Avoid the deadly trap of listening with no resolve to do what God says. Avoid the deadly trap of listening with no resolve to do what God says. You know, the Great Commission is teaching them to observe all that I command. And that verb, observe, what that means is to live out. Not to be able to quote it, right? Be able to quote, love your enemies, but do you love your enemies? Just quote, pray for those who persecute you, but you pray for those who persecute you. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 4, when, when you make a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Maybe you've been there, man, you've been through a hard season and you say, God, if, if you'll just heal me, if you just help me, then, then I'll, well, this is what we're being warned against, don't make vows and not do them. Pay for what you vow. Remember, Jesus warned us about this. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Everything else comes from evil. So you be a person, you don't have to qualify. You don't have to say, I, I double pinky promise. I don't know. You know. we got all these things. I'm telling you the truth. No, when you speak, you, you can be trusted that you don't have to have a bunch of qualifiers. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth lead you, let not, I'm sorry, let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? And when dreams increase and words grow weary, there is vanity, but God is the one that you must fear. Well, if you're in Ecclesiastes, let's be found in the New Testament letter of Ephesians together. And in just a moment, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4.
So to kind of think it through together, uh, you know, if, you, if you're in the Word or, or in all the things that we uh, said about your personal Bible reading could um, be applied to sermon listening, commands to obey, examples to follow, sin to avoid, warning to pay careful attention to, promise to trust. And then can I just, again, encourage you to memorize large portions of Scripture Memorize a chapter. Now, just put two thoughts together. If we really believe this is the Word of God, wouldn't, wouldn't we want to not, again, see, every good and godly discipline can uh, be kind of captured and repackaged into legalism. But do you want to know God? We know who He really is. Uh, three chapters I'd always encourage, if you've never memorized a chapter of Scripture, John 1, Ephesians 2, Romans 8. Those are three great ones to to begin with, um, so much of the needed, godly, holy correction I've ever received in my life came from memorizing, trusting Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted, not wishy-washy, not going with whatever's popular in the moment, firmly planted by streams of living water, and in its season will bear fruit. I loved baseball when I was a little boy. I was the youngest of three sons. So believe it or not, when I was seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I was a decent baseball player because I was always playing with guys older than me. So I'd show up, bat third, bat fourth. Man, when you're eight, that's a badge of honor. I mean, I showed up at Lloyd E. Yaman Elementary School. I bat third for the Red Sox. That's kind of who I thought of myself as. Moved to Rocky Mountain at 12 years old. I made the Rocky Mount All-Star team. The Red Hat. Tournaments through the summer. And at first, I was batting fourth. I'm not quite sure what happened. But all of a sudden, I'd start to walk to the plate. I remember standing in the batting circle, warming up, just getting nervous, just getting anxious. Like it would kind of rise up right here. I don't know because it was the all-stars and all of a sudden I thought, man, everybody out here is good and I don't know if I'm good and I don't know. And then I started to go to hit, hoping to walk. That was my plan. I'd get up there, and I can remember, I can, it's like just yesterday, saying, please throw a ball, through, please throw a ball, make it be obvious, but skip it in the dirt. I was so nervous, I stopped being aggressive, and my coach noticed. I went from third in the batting order, or fourth, to sixth, then seventh, then eighth. And then my coach pulled me aside and he said, I want you to go up there swinging. He said, I don't care if the ball's a foot off the plate, you swing. I said, yes, sir. But at the plate, I just can't really explain it. I was paralyzed and called out three pitches in a row right down the middle. And I can remember walking back to the dugout Eyes on the ground thinking, he's really, my coach is, he's going to lay into me. 
And every step, bracing, bracing, bracing for what he was going to say. And then something worse happened. He didn't say anything. Walked right by him. Sat down. Next game. Showed up. Lineup card. Where am I hitting? Six, seven, eight, nine. Not. You're going to sit right there. Why? I sat, for the most part, and watched the rest of the season. Hey, all the games kept being played. I just wasn't playing in them. Here's what I'm trying to get at. The kingdom of God is going to advance, amen? God is doing a great work in the world. He is. But when I stop listening... I'm kind of out of the game. Y'all, we should never expect a fresh word from God if we haven't listened to what he already said. So in your life right now, if you feel like God's been silent a long time, the Bible's testimony is he is not silent. He is a speaking God. This word is alive and it's active, not dormant. It's not a matter of if the word is alive and active. It's a matter of if you are alive and active in listening to the word. Does that make sense? Right. So if it's been a little while since God has spoken to you in power, first know that when he speaks to you, it will be through his word. You might want to retrace your steps and say, has there been a command to obey? An example to follow, a sin to avoid, a warning to pay attention to, a promise to trust that I just stopped trusting. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 32 is what I want to read as our last passage this morning. So I think this is a helpful place to start. Ephesians 4, verse 29 begins to lay out some things for us so that we could um, know what we need to guard, how to guard our steps. So verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. I'm just going to say this real fast. Man, you live in a generation where there is so much corrupting talk. I, I, can't, I can't find a podcast anymore to listen to within the first two minutes, corrupting talk. And, and, and you want to be careful about um, getting a little more comfortable with corruption than you are with Christ. Okay, uh, uh, I think sometimes we're so af- afraid of being uh, labeled legalists that we lose our common sense. And what you say matters. So everything from swear words to unwholesome talk, ungodly things that, that, that maybe wherever you are or at work or in the locker room and it's just a thing. Those are the things that are talked about. Uh, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. And you don't even have to play the game of replacement words. You know what I'm saying? Oh, here's the swear word, but I'm just going to replace it with this word that's just a couple of letters off. But, man, why did God give you a mouth? That's a good question, isn't it? Why does he give you a mouth? Listen to it. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up that it may give, it's an important word to God, grace to those who hear. You can, work, you can use a hammer to destroy things, or you could use a hammer to build things. Do you know what I mean? And that's the way your mouth is. Is your mouth building up? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Just put them together. When you speak, is that something the Holy Spirit would have said? Is that something the Holy Spirit would sign holiness to, right? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So you keep your eyes on the fact that Christ is coming back. He's going to redeem all creation. Now, I'm about to read a statement. Man, this is, oh man, God, his word, it speaks to how life really is. Let all, we ready? Bitterness. What is bitterness? Bitterness is when you've been hurt and it sticks. It's a, it's a hurt that's deep and sets off a chain reaction. Ephesians 4.31 is a chain reaction. Let all bitterness and wrath. You know what, you know what wrath is? Wrath is a slow burn. And in and, and the verse, if we, you, you've been hurt, and now you're harboring the hurt, grinding on it a little bit. For some of us in the room, it's decades ago, but it might as well have been five minutes ago. Do you know what I mean? But all bitterness and, and wrath. Wrath, one, one way to think about it is you, you're kind of relitigating over and over and over in your mind. You're gripping that steering wheel at the stoplight, grinding your teeth, and you're just chewing on it. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger. Now that's become a, 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 a constant state of mentality, just always angry. We have a, a statement, somebody flies off the handle, right? You've heard that statement? This just exploded out of nowhere. It's nev- Listen to me, it's never out of nowhere. It's been right beneath the surface. For a long period of time, right? That all bitterness and wrath and anger, it's not going to stay in there. What's your next word? Clamor. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart's angry. It won't be long. It won't be long. The clamor comes. And now, you've been hurt. And man, it really hurts. And now you've been slow burning it. Chain reaction. Now constantly angry, and now here comes the clamor, and then here comes the slander. Now you want everybody around you to feel about this situation or the person the way that you do. So slander. You won't believe what's so-and-so. And and this can become your entire life, are you hearing me? This is the entire life. And then here's the end game, malice. What's malice? Malice, friends, is the exact opposite. 
of the second greatest commandment. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Malice is, is when you really want something bad to come to that person. Man, I hope they get theirs. Caution. Caution. You don't want to apply that standard to yourself. Hope you get what's coming to you. No, you don't want that. But do you see the chain reaction? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Did you hear the word all a couple of times there? Do you know why it says all? Because that's what God means. See, I just hold on to a little bit of it. That little bit? Well, Adrian Rogers says anger is an acid that destroys its own container. And he's right. What happens? When we told God we didn't need him anymore, how did he respond? Here's our hope. Not that way. Amen. Not with bitterness, wrath, anger, slander. Here's how he responds. Verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. So we're going to close with a series of questions that we take straight from Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. Let's put to practice. Let's guard our steps. Don't hear this without humble willingness to receive from the Lord what he'd like to say. Do your words... Bring grace and build up. Do your words bring grace and build up? Second, are you grieving the Holy Spirit? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't you love Scripture? How would you grieve the Holy Spirit? You'd grieve the Holy Spirit if you persist in patterns of behavior that are not in line with your ultimate redemption, right? I mean, if on the day Christ returns, would you say there are things in your life you wouldn't want to be found doing, you wouldn't want to be found saying, you wouldn't want to want, <laughs> I almost sound like a, never mind. You wouldn't want to be found being. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Friends, you will never, you will never, ever, 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 ever regret listening to the Holy Spirit, Ever. Are you ruled by anger? Some of the hurt, it's real. I mean, all the hurt's real, but some of it, man, it is deep. I don't want to say this flippantly at all. But in Christ, you can have a life ruled by what Christ has done for you over and above what anybody has done to you. Are you tenderhearted? Or hard-hearted. Hear the warning of Scripture. You can be hard-hearted and come to church all the time, right? Are you living in light of the forgiveness God has given you in Christ Jesus? Verse 32. I'll close with this good news. One of the, one of the great, uh, one of the great uh, lessons of Scripture is, is God's not like us. Amen. God is not like us. He's not rash with his words. What we just read, he's not rash. 
He's not just throwing some things out. He said, this is what I want you to hear. So I'm going to invite you to stand right now. We're going to pray together. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons we have a response time is because we trust the sufficiency of Scripture. And so as you guard your steps, guard them from the beginning to the end. So is there something that we've studied in Scripture? No, let me rephrase that. Trust in God. What have we studied in Scripture that the Holy Spirit now is bringing right into your, to your life? That's what I want you to respond to. I'm going to stand here at the front. If you've got a burden, a concern, something on your heart you want to pray, it would be my joy to do that. You can come here to the front and pray if, if that's how the Spirit might lead you to do. Of course, you can stay right where you are, but sometimes in life it's helpful. You, you know, uh, you can bring the body but not the Spirit. Sometimes you can bring the Spirit by, by bringing the body, or they complement one another. I think you know what I'm trying to say. Let's pray together. God speaks to you through his word because he loves you. And Father, we see from the get-go, see from the get-go, the first strategy of the enemy is to plant in our hearts and in our minds that you say things to us that are not for our good. It's the original lie. Did God really say? Praise God. God has spoken. Give us grace not to grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we're sealed for the day of redemption. If the Holy Spirit is in us, the power of God, overcome the bitterness, overcome the anger, the wrath, the clamor, the slander, malice, that our mouths are full of words of grace because our hearts have received the grace of God in Christ Jesus. We pray now that you lead us in a way that honors you and points us to the Lord Jesus. In whose name we pray.